This ad-free podcast is part of your Slate Plus membership. Lucky you. Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to the Dear Prudence Show once again. And as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Daniel M. Lavery. With me in the studio this week is a returning guest, Crystal Farmer, who works in publishing and lives in Oakland. And sometimes we watch movies together, usually now from very, very long distances. Crystal, hello. Welcome back to the show. Hi, Danny. Thanks so much for having me back. That sounds super fancy, but you know, just in my apartment. So not, not that Doesn't fancy. It? Yeah. It's like, oh, thanks for having me back. And it's just like, we're just, I'm sitting in my bed right now. I don't know about you. <laughs> I'm at my desk, but you know, still as cash. We're, we're doing fantastic. Um, I'm excited about our first letter. It's, um, I hope that this person has lots and lots of options available to them. And I want to try to find ways to counsel them that don't necessarily go as far as some of the advice they've received previously. Um, we'll see. I'll, I'll take it first. I'll read the first one. So the subject is, I like my living arrangement, but should it continue? Dear Prudence, I'm a 24-year-old straight woman. I moved from my small town to a large city to go to college, and I loved it so much that I stayed after graduation. While still a student, I worked for a campus department with a male boss in his mid-40s. He was a very nice mentor who helped me land my first off-campus job after graduation. In March, I was furloughed from that job. At the same time, my lease was running out on my apartment. I was lamenting about this on Facebook, and my former boss read this and invited me to stay in his house with him. He's not married and has no children. I took him up on his offer. He'd work at home. I'd help out by making dinner, which I love to do, but otherwise I'd just sit by his pool or go for walks around the neighborhood. He asked for nothing in return, saying he didn't need the money. Soon afterwards, our relationship turned sexual, which has been very nice as well. I'm being called back to work in July. He has said I can stay with him for as long as I want. We had a long talk and both agree that our relationship, while very nice for both of us, is temporary. But I see no reason why I should move right now. And I would be happy with continuing our relationship for the time being. Again, he's not asking for money. I didn't think this would be a problem, but a friend of mine has insinuated that I was basically being a prostitute and that this was bound for a bad ending. While I scoff at the comparison, it has caused me to wonder if I should cut this off right now and find a place on my own. What do you think? Oh. I will start with, you know, the preferred term is sex worker, not prostitute. That was exactly my thought as well. I, I just think anything that's kind of rooted in you're not a sex worker. So if you do anything that could potentially be done by a sex worker, it's doomed for like despair and loss and awfulness is bad. Very like negative judgment um, for sure. Um, but also too, like it's not actually the same thing, right? Because if you're a sex worker, you know that it's a transaction, right? You go into it, you provide a service, a client pays you. And that's it, right? Done deal. Whereas it seems like this person did not expect that going into this situation. She expected that there was not going to be anything expected of her in return, which, you know, definitely separates her from 
I think, from sex workers to start. Um, yeah, I mean, if anything, I think a sex worker would have like gotten the terms in writing beforehand and would have a more clear deal managed here, like I think in many ways. So the first time I had read it, I had thought that the job that she had been furloughed from was still the job where he was the boss. So the question was like, I'm going to go back and he's going to be my boss in July, but I want to keep working. And I was very anxious. And then I reread it and I realized... He simply recommended her for the job. I, you know, I don't love that this guy was your boss in college and then was like, hey, come on and move in with me with, it sounds like not signing any sort of subletting agreement. Whoopsie daisy, it just turned sexual. That's a part I would like some more information on too. Like, what does that mean that it turned sexual? Um, yeah. Because was that something that existed prior to this living arrangement? Like, was there attraction there from, you know, either one of you? Um, was it mutual? Had it been there for a while? Or did it sort of develop over time? And and who was sort of the instigator of that? I think that really sort of does um, affect how exactly how this potentially could go down, you know, depending on whether or not they continue and how long they continue this like living arrangement and the sort of, you know, sexual relationship. Yeah. On the one hand, I I really, I want to take the letter writer at her word. She's 24 years old. She's no longer in college. He's not her professor. He's not her boss. If she wants to date him, she is entitled to do that. And I I don't want to say like, no, 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 you have to think of him as a bad actor. I'm a little bit curious about what some of his motives have been, but again, like just taking at face value, they are both adults. He does not have the ability to hire or fire her or to influence her college graduation. So, you know, we can set that to the side. I think really the real issue here is like, are you allowed to live with an older guy and have sex with him and enjoy yourself? Yes, definitely you are. But what I would encourage this letter writer to do is think about like, what if tomorrow we stopped sleeping together? What if I told him I wasn't into it anymore and he got really mad at me? What legal protections would I have as his tenant? Where would I go? Is there anything in writing that would protect me from his whims? And I, I don't know that that's the case. Yeah, especially because it's clear that they're, they've had this conversation and agree that it's not something that's going to last you know, that that's not going to last, that it is temporary. So like that does need to be, I think her major concern is like, if it's her who makes the decision to either move out or start seeing someone else, uh, you know, what exactly are going to be the repercussions from that? Um, because it seems like maybe nothing, but could also be a lot of something. Um, and it really is, I don't know, I, I guess you want to, like you were saying, don't want to believe that he's a bad actor and that, you know, he is going to turn into some like horrible monster, but you can't know exactly what the effects of, you know, the change in their relationship will be like until it has happened. <laughs> and I think it right. it's to sort of get something concrete under her so she knows what her choices are or what her options are if, you know, this thing kind of like, you know, all blows up. Right. Like I'm less concerned about his intentions here and more concerned about just the facts, which are he currently has a job and a steady paycheck. You don't. He either owns this home or, uh, you know, is is on the lease. Um, You don't and you aren't. So again, without saying like, you know, tomorrow he's going to turn this around on you and try to hold it over your head. He has 
protections in place that you don't. And so it's not even like, oh, he's bad and he's going to use this against me so much as just like he is protected in a way that you aren't. It will be good since you know this relationship is not going to last indefinitely to think about where can I start looking for a place where I will be on the lease, where it will be understood what my rights are in that home. That's not just dependent on like this guy continuing to be generous or, you know, quote unquote generous. Right. And it's interesting because when I first read this letter, like the, you know, fact that he was much older and, you know, had all of this, these resources and she didn't and was much younger. That was sort of the thing that struck me initially, but reading it again, like you were saying, the thing I was more concerned about was like, this is like a housing issue (laughs) more than anything else. Like the other things are, you know, they can have whatever relationship they want to have. That's up to them, like you were saying. But yeah, I just am concerned that if things change in that relationship, like what is she going to do? Where is she going to be? I think she really does need to talk to someone that's, you know, maybe a third party that's not mm-hmm. sort of, you know, someone she went to college with or worked for while she was at college that can sort of help her with this situation and figure out, you know, what what are her options if she if if things sort of take a turn for the worse, what she, what can she do? Yeah, basically you don't need to put down sex workers in order to think carefully about your own choices in life. If you and this guy have already been able to have like a pretty amicable conversation about how this isn't permanent, I think you can also have a pretty amicable conversation about like, you know, I'd love to keep living here through the end of the summer. And then once I've got my job back, I'm going to start looking for a place of my own. I'll, you know, let you know when I've done that. It doesn't sound like that would be a problem, but I think it will be good in the like short to medium term to find a place where you can live where you're not dependent upon the owner of the home just saying like, yeah, you can keep staying here for free Um, and that that will be good. And if you want to keep seeing him after you've moved out, you can. And if you want to just go back to being casual friends, you can. I would imagine that it would be helpful to to look for other mentors as time goes on, just because it's good, I think, to have a mentor whose relationship to you is only professional, but um, you don't have to repudiate this choice. You don't have to repudiate this relationship. You are an adult and you're allowed to choose the terms upon which you like accept offers. But I, I do agree that this is not something that's going to last indefinitely. So you should start making plans. Doesn't mean dump him today, but it does mean start putting out feelers for people who are looking for roommates. So yeah, the first two letters are both about like age gap relationships and the kind of unique problems that can arise as a result of that. So uh, I think this next one is you. Would you mind reading it for us? Sure. Uh, The subject is my baby's father is super young. Um, Dear Prudence, over Christmas, I went home and had a fling with a man I used to babysit. I'm recently divorced. It was bad. And hooking up with 23-year-old Jason was just what I needed to get my groove back. In February, Jason's work brought him to the city where I live, and we hooked up again. Now I'm pregnant. In thir- I'm 31 and financially and emotionally able to raise this baby. The wild card is Jason. To my surprise, he wants to be a part of our baby's life. I thought he'd run for the hills when I told him, but he wants to transfer to my city, which is feasible for him, and figure out how we'll co-parent. He's even told me he'd like to try dating, and he was completely okay when I said, I don't think that's a good idea right now. Jason seems too good to be true. I'm scared to trust that he wants to be in the baby's life, but when I reflect upon those fears, it's all because he's so young. 
Am I being unfair to him? Huh. So this is interesting. Do you watch Insecure at all? I do. I haven't I haven't seen the latest season. Okay, well then I will not go into it then. <laughs> no, 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 it's okay. I don't mind spoilers, although listeners should be aware yeah, we're about to yeah, give spoilers. I don't want to be super spoilery, but there's like similar things potentially happening on this season of Insecure if you've seen it. If you haven't, then I didn't say anything. Just pretend that never happened. Um, yeah, this was kind of an interesting one because it also reminded me a little bit of Catastrophe, if you've seen that show. Um mm-hmm. <laughs> with Rob Delaney and Sharon Horgan, where they, um, you know, have this fling and she ends up pregnant and he ends up staying with her and they sort of build a life around this child that they, you know, kind of had accidentally. Um, and in that situation, though, they're both, you know, similar age, late 30s, early 40s, you know, just living their lives. Um but this is very different in that, you know, she seems like she's already sort of stable in her career and he's, you know, not, maybe he's stable. I mean, it seems like he has a job that, you know, is flexible for him and he can sort of work it in a way that um, makes his life easiest. But I'm not really sure what the concern here is for the letter writer. <laughs> I mean, she wants a baby and, is able to have one and take care of it in the ways that um, would be best for her. Um, And the child's potential father, uh, the father, not potentially, he is the father. Um, He wants to be in the child's life. So I I really don't understand necessarily the concern. Um, I, I, I think there is a little bit of unfairness because of his age, but if he's willing to say, you know, I want to co-parent with you and I want to do that together, even going to forest, like move to the city where she lives so that that's easier for them. I think that's like kind of the best case scenario in a situation like this. Um, I don't know if you disagree though, Danny. No, I do. I mean, I think the, the worry or the concern about unfairness has something to do with both one, the fact that he's 23 and two, uh, the fact that at some point in the distant past, the letter writer used to babysit him. <laughs> the letter writer doesn't say like, I babysat him and we stayed really close and I like watched him grow up. It's like I had a babysitting relationship with him and he's a kid and I was a teenager. And then like a decade later, as adults, we met and hooked up. Right. I, I get that that doesn't necessarily feel like, oh, that's exactly how I imagined I would have my first child. But like <laughs> he is an adult he is out of college. He is grown. He's not a child. You did not take advantage of him. You didn't exploit him. You didn't take advantage of like a familial parental like relationship. Um, you didn't, um, you, 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 you are an adult who had sex with another adult. And as a result, the two of you had a child or are going to have a child. Um, so, you know, th- th- I don't think you need to worry that somehow you manipulated or pressured him or did something unfair. He had sex with you just as much as you had sex with him and you got pregnant. So the fact that he wants to be involved um, is not something that you need to hold against him. It's not like you can say like, well, he was old enough to decide he wanted to have sex, but he's not old enough to decide whether or not he wants to be a parent. Like that's, that's unfair, I think. Um, So, you know, if you need to kind of like work through your own discomfort or fear of the judgment of others because the guy you're having a kid with is eight years younger than you, you know, I want you to be able to do that. But again, there was, you you were not harming him. 
And it's not like he was old enough to understand how to have sex, but not old enough to understand that sex sometimes produces children and that people sometimes decide to co-parent children together. Right. Um, And the letter writer was old enough or, you know, she thought he was old enough to understand all of those things when she, I'm assuming when she had sex with him. Right. So it's not really fair to sort of go back on and say like, you know, actually I'm having second thoughts about like how responsible I think you are. You know, um, I think that's kind of the, it's like the tacit agreement you kind of go into when you have sex with someone. It's like a lot of things could happen as a result of this. And you both, you know, have to understand that that's the case. And he clearly does. So she should as well. So, yeah, I, I totally understand the fears of like, you know, I worry that he's over committing or like over promising and he will under deliver. And that like when the reality of the baby and like, you know, getting up in the middle of the night and 3 a.m. feedings and all of that comes into play, that he will change his mind. Mm-hmm. I get that. That may happen. I hope that it doesn't. I hope that you two are able to find a way to amicably co-parent, but that makes a lot of sense that you're anxious right now. And I I would say to that, you know, um, talk to him about the possibility of like collaborating on a custody agreement, not like Mm -hmm. taking one another to court and getting a judge to mandate one, but trying to figure out what's a schedule we can both live with. Maybe talk to a lawyer, maybe talk to a professional mediator, maybe look for like counseling services for people who are not romantically involved, but are co-parenting together. Figure out ways that the two of you can talk about your desires, your goals, your fears, your your shared values, and, and how often you would want to co-parent together, how often you might want to trade off, how often you might want to be parenting independently of one another. Like all of those are good things that you can talk about. He's demonstrated a lot of willingness, interest, and goodwill, that bodes well. If at some point down the road things change, you know, you may have to get a lawyer. You two may have to go to court. I hope that that doesn't happen. I hope you're able to prevent that. But I don't think that you should turn his offer down now out of hand, out of fear that he might change his mind later. Right. And and two, especially because he's you know, uh, younger than she is by, I mean, it seems like a significant amount when you're, you know, 31 and 23, but that's not a huge age gap from where I'm sitting. Like I'm 36, you know, someone 28 is not that much younger to me in my mind, but I mean, people parent in their early twenties. Right. Exactly. It's not super uncommon, but also too, I think what you're saying about the sort of having the important discussions now while the child is, you know, gestating um, before it's actually Mm -hmm. here is also really important because of his age. You know, it seems like he's young and he's probably early in his career. You don't know what things are going to happen, you know, especially because they're not together like romantically. And, you know, he's working. He can move to her city or not move to her city. Like those are really important decisions that he may have to, you know, change at some point in his life. And if they haven't had a conversation about, you know, what, what's going to happen when you, you know, have another partner or, you know, your job takes you here or you want to do this thing. Like they need to get on the same page about that before those, you know, uh, situations like present themselves. Um, so yeah, I think it's really, it's good to have the talk, but it's also sort of, I think it's unfair generally to sort of hold his age against him now when he's sort of saying all the right things that, you know, you, sh- you would want someone to say in this situation, even though, like you're saying, probably not ideal that this is how she's going to have her first child, um, you right. know, the situation you're in. And I think ultimately it could be so much more problematic than it is. So, you know, 
just roll yeah. with it and, and sort of be open with each other and, and talk through what it is you both actually want out of it um, so that you can give your kid the best, you know, raise them in the best situation possible. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it. Take him at his word. He's an adult. He's, he's an adult with a job who's like work makes him travel and means he can transfer cities. Like he's not, um, he sounds fairly independent. Treat him like an adult. You are not doing this to him. The two of you got pregnant because you both participated in sex. You are not being unfair. He wants to be a part of his own child's life. That's not something you did to him. That's something you two are doing together. I think that's my kind of last thought there. And um, yeah, that's it. I wish you both the best of luck and I hope you have a great baby. The next one. Okay, this one's my turn, I think. Subject is wanted, unwanted clothes. Dear Prudence, I'm a fat woman and it is very hard for me to find clothes that fit. My father's girlfriend has a daughter named Pam who lost a significant amount of weight earlier this year and gave her mother all of her old clothes to give away. Most of them were very high end and I asked if I could go through them before they were donated. I took a lot. It's wonderful to finally have flattering clothes. Now Pam has gained all the weight back. She recently recognized some of her old clothes on my social media posts and DM'd me asking me to give them back. I felt bad, so I offered her a few of the pieces I don't wear often. But Pam wants all of them. I told her no, and now she's involved our parents. Her mother called and asked me to give the clothes back because, quote, Pam needs to look nice for work and is very depressed about her weight gain. My dad told me to be the bigger person. I don't think he meant it as an insult, but this entire situation is insulting. I really don't know Pam. I don't really want to know her after this, but I also don't want to cause a fight since my relationship with my dad has been rocky in the past. His new girlfriend is good for him. What should I do? I agree that everything about this is like painful, insulting, and basically caused by the fact that like the fashion industry makes it as difficult as possible for anyone above a size 12 to find like nice looking, well-tailored clothes. Mm-hmm. And so part of the problem here is just like you you have to like fight for clothes on a scale that you shouldn't have to. Yeah, I mean, that is true for sure. Um, it is not super... It's not super easy and it's not always super fun <laughs> to find clothes, like to go shopping, especially because a lot of times, particularly like brands that either cater specifically to um, fat women or, you know, um, uh, existing brands that sort of have uh, ranges that that go really high. A lot of times you'll find that like they don't carry those sizes in store or, you know, these brands, mm-hmm. you know, they will be online only and you have to sort of guess at what will fit you, have it sent to your house, try it. If it doesn't fit, then you have to go through the whole rigmarole of like sending things back, exchanging, getting different sizes. It's just, you know, not super, um, it's not a super easy process and it's really like easy to get demoralized and sort of just, you know, Mm -hmm. go with the simplest thing. Um, So I totally understand the, um, you know, being relieved to finally have something that like, looks super nice on you and that you actually like and you know well made I I completely understand the like relief (laughs) that you might feel to have that um Mm -hmm. what I don't understand is Pam's response (laughs) um right I just don't think that it's 
uh, I don't know, what's the word? I don't think it's fair to expect someone to give back something that you gave away. Um, (laughs) You didn't want them. You made this choice. You gave them back. And now that you sort of are in a different place, you want someone to return them. That doesn't seem very, it seems super nonsensical to me, especially because had Pam given these clothes away to say, you know, Salvation Army or Goodwill or something, there would be no way to get them back. Right. So I think um, it's very, it's kind of unfair to expect uh, the letter writer to sort of return these things if they were given to her. Um, That said, it's a little bit it's kind of murky because it's not as if Pam gave these things directly to the letter writer. She gave them to her mother who then gave them to the letter writer. So it unfortunately has involved like many more people than necessarily would have been involved had it been like a one-to-one transaction. Um, Right. It's, it's really tricky. Anytime you get sort of your, uh, you know, your parents and their spouses, if they're not, you know, your, your, if you have like your parents aren't together, it it can be really difficult to sort of build those relationships and have them be like comfortable and, um, you know, actually successful relationships. And so you want to do everything you can to keep them um, working well, but it's really difficult when there's like one event or one person, you know, who else is in the family who is making that very hard for you. Um, so yeah, I don't really know. My, my ultimate gut would tell me that if she's really concerned with sort of, um, salvaging her relationship with her father and making sure that, you know, it stays fairly healthy, I think it would be good to talk to him about why she feels like this is unfair. Um, that said, it's not clear exactly how much of that would be, he'd be receptive to considering that his girlfriend is seems much more upset about the situation um and may have his ear more than his daughter does considering their rocky past um Mm -hmm. yeah i don't know i i i would ultimately say talk to your father tell them tell him that you would like to keep these clothes because they were given to you um but if they, if he's more upset about it, I don't think there's anything really you can do unless you want to incredibly like work really hard to salvage your relationship, then you should give them back. Um, I I think it really ultimately is about what do you value more here, the clothes or your relationship with your father. And I do think that ultimately that should not be, you know, they shouldn't be on an even, (laughs) even scale. Like one of those is obviously more important in, in my mind. Um, so I think, you know, give them back if you want to save your father's relationship, your relationship with your father. But ultimately, I don't think that your relationship with your father should come down to that. And it should really be. I just don't think that it should be that big a deal to keep them. And he should sort of be more willing to have that conversation with his girlfriend and his girlfriend's daughter. I mean, that's generally how I feel, but I may just be very selfish about clothes. I don't know. No, I, I mean, I get it. I think this is hard. I can I can see good reasons for wanting to do both. And the good reasons, quote unquote, for giving them back would not be because I think it's like the best thing to do, but because it would be like a strategy designed to pick and choose your battles. So yeah, on the one hand, like it is 
it's straight up insulting that your father said, be the bigger person. I think we can just safely say whether or not he had malicious intention. That's a pretty fucked up thing to say, uh, in this context. Um, you have a right to these clothes. They were, don't, they were, they were being given away. You took them. The other person didn't want them. The fact that they later went through something difficult and were like experiencing distress around their own weight gain is sad and hard, but it's not a justification for them like demanding on your social media posts, give me my clothes back. And then enlisting their mom to make that same demand of you. Like, I think that's really fucked up. Um, That said, it also sounds like it's three against one. And you don't necessarily think of your father as somebody who will listen to you or be a resource to you. So if you decided, like, I'm going to keep him a little bit more at a distance, I'm going to definitely keep Pam at a distance, but I will, for the sake of not being, like, endlessly given grief over this, give the clothes back and then just kind of, like, turn some of my emotional investment away from this group and into other people who I, you know, can trust more. I would understand that too. I really, really would. So I would say you you have every right to say like, no, the clothes are mine. I'm sorry you're going through a hard time, but this is not the solution. I'm not going to take any more calls or emails about this. That's an option. If that feels like I don't have the kind of like bandwidth to cope with all three of them yelling at me about this. And I, I, I would just rather chalk this one up to letting them behave badly and moving on with my life. I think that that would make sense too. And if I were in your position, I I think that's what I would do. I don't know that I'd feel great about it, but I would at least feel like this is worth it for peace of mind. And I would, I would not want to wear like these clothes with that kind of like association. Right. Yeah. That's part of it too. Like every time you go to put on some jeans or whatever, you have to think about how, you know, your dad and his girlfriend and his girlfriend's daughter are all mad at you about this thing. Yeah. It it could really spoil your enjoyment of something that you were very happy to, you know, have received. Um, so yeah, I definitely think that just, you know, for, like you were saying, for peace of mind, probably just easier to get them back. And one of the good things about, well, not great because fast fashion is a whole other thing, but you know, one of the good things about clothes is, you know, you can just get new ones. (laughs) And then like you're saying, if you're going to turn your energy away from, you know, these three, maybe you could invest some of that energy into, you know, finding some clothes that you really like that you've chosen and have purchased for yourself. (laughs) Right. And like, yeah, I mean, that speaks to like the fundamental underlying problem here has to do with, you know, the thing that both you and Pam are, are dealing with, which is like some version of like, you have to lose weight. Once you lose weight, you have to get rid of anything that reminds you of the version of yourself that wasn't thin. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you should be ashamed that you lost weight. You should lash out if you, I'm sorry, you should be ashamed that you gained weight. Like, you know, you you don't deserve to have the clothes that thin people like can find access to relatively easily. Like all of that sucks. And and I feel for both you and Pam. I think Pam is behaving badly, but I also feel for her in this. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is just a bigger issue than than anything you can do about right now. But I, I want better options for both you and for Pam. And I'm sorry that you were put in this situation. At at least now, you know, never to like ask for or accept any sort of like gifts or hand-me-downs from that side of your family. And with that, I think we should close this one down. Yeah. Would you read our next letter? Sure. Uh, The subject is formerly racist girlfriend. 
Uh, Dear Prudence, I'm black. My girlfriend is multiracial, but looks white and mostly identifies as Hispanic. Although sometimes on forums, she'll list her race as black. It's been a bad few weeks for me. Lately, I've been afraid to drive my car because I'm so worried about the police and armed guards in my neighborhood. Recently, I was on my girlfriend's Facebook, uh, uh, parentheses, something we've established as okay between us. I don't have one of my own, and she knows I sometimes scroll through her feed to keep up with mutual friends, and saw that she'd left messages with her ex open. She showed these messages to me before, so I scrolled mindlessly until I saw messages from when we first met. He'd written, don't fall in love with your new roommate, me, and ruin a good setup. She'd responded, I won't. Don't get me wrong, I love Black people, but she's Black. That's not really my type. It cut me to the bone. I never really thought of us, I never really thought of us as in an interracial relationship before, before now, which admittedly sounds dumb now. When I confronted her, she apologized, but mostly talked about how overwhelmed she was over being called racist and how she only said it because her ex was raped by a Black person and she didn't want to trigger them. She also asked me what was wrong with having a preference. I asked, how could you have a preference about an entire race of people when there are so many different kinds of Black people? I said I'd been scared for my life lately, and she told me to take some deep breaths and that I was making her anxious. I was crushed. I thought she'd apologize right away. A coworker of hers and my cousin have helped her see it differently, but I'm angry it took all that. I love her, but I don't want to help her heal over being racist. We've been together for six years, so that message is old. She was 25 when she wrote it, and I know people change, but her response in the present hurt more. She's usually such an amazing, loving person. What should I do? Mm. (sighs) Oh, man. (laughs) There's a lot going on here, like so much going on here. Um, I mean, there's the racial issues, the fact that she was looking through that someone else's messages and yeah I just there's 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 so much (laughs) where where should we start here I mean I think it's helpful to leave aside the messages question because it doesn't sound like the girlfriend objected to it it sounds like they'd something that they established as like basically okay and the girlfriend's not like you scrolled back too far so in the interest of time I think we can leave that one to the side yeah, I mean, the whole thing about having a preference, like, maybe that's where we should start there. I mean, first of all, yeah. everyone knows that, you know, <laughs> Black people are not a monolith, just like any other you know group of people. Um, but this idea that having a preference is something that is, uh, is specific to you as one person, and it's just your particular choice, like, that's never true, regardless of what people convince themselves of everyone's interests and who they're interested in is shaped by society, by the culture you're raised in, by the uh, media you consume, by the news you consume, like all all of your sort of um, the culture in which you sort of exist and sort of are like wafting through at all times Mm -hmm. shapes your preferences. And so when you say that you have a preference about an entire race of people, uh, that really tells me that the kind of spaces that you've been moving through have sort of presented black people as not an option for you as uh, potential like you know romantic partners for right. whatever reason. And that's something that people need to interrogate more when they talk about what preferences mean and why they have them. 
um, that nothing ever happens in a vacuum. <laughs> right. It, it's a bullshit statement, as you say, like on its face. But particularly in this context, I find it really damning. Like this letter writer's girlfriend said, what's wrong with having a preference for not wanting to date black people? And it's like, you're telling that to your black girlfriend. Right. Do you know what I mean? It's like, this isn't even, you can't even pretend that it's like an, an abstract argument. It's like, well, if you have a preference for not dating black people and yet you've been dating me for the last six years, <laughs> you know, how can I not take that personally? How can I not find that like harmful and racist in the context of our relationship? Right. And not to mention in the context of everything that's literally going on in the culture, I mean, or in society, you know, the letter writer literally starts by saying, like, it's been a bad few weeks. Like, right. it has. <laughs> and I'm sure, like, you know, the rest of her life hasn't been super smooth sailing either, considering what Black people, you know, encounter on a regular basis. Um, so the idea that that the girlfriend would sort of have the gall to say that just generally, like you were saying, in the context of their relationship, but in the context of everything that's going on in society, like to be like, yeah, no, I just don't have a preference for black people. Like it's, it's so insulting. It's so incredibly insulting and, um, just completely, uh, like how can you be so, so um, uh, unaware of how that will go over generally, especially to not only your black girlfriend, but your black girlfriend that you've been in a relationship for six years with? Like it just could never have gone over well. I don't I don't understand yeah. the potential. Uh, or I don't understand the girlfriend's, the, you know, the letter writer's girlfriend's response. Like why would she sort of take that statement and sort of make it about her and how you know, how it's, yeah. you know, she is being made anxious to have to think deeply about her racist beliefs. It's, yeah. it's really not a time to sort of be centering yourself. It's really sort of a time to be thinking about like, why did I have those preferences? Why did I think it was okay to be super open with them with my black girlfriend that I've been with for six years? And I've been with her for six years. So what does that say about me and, and actually what I do want and what I do believe and you know it, it and why couldn't I have valued her feelings about what I said instead of having to you know be talked to by you know coworker and a cousin that really helped me realize like oh yeah what I said was actually kind of bad you know that why really... couldn't it have been a conversation between the two of you where you you the letter writer's girlfriend you know was able to see exactly why what she said and how she had been behaving was so hurtful. Yeah, I, I found that particular detail devastating. Um, I, I don't know if there's like issues of like racism or colorism, like if the cousin and coworker are white or light-skinned and like as such, like the girlfriend was more receptive to hearing what they had to say than the girlfriend. But like the idea that two other people who weren't you had to convince her of like, the importance of you and, and your humanity is, is devastating. And so I think the two things that I was the most struck by here was the letter writer said, I'd been scared for my life. I told her I'd been scared for my life. And her response was, you're making me anxious. Exactly. That's so <laughs> dehumanizing. That's so dismissive. That's mm -hmm. so cruel. That's so anti-black. Like, Everything about that scares me, sets off alarm bells, tells me that she does not value your safety. Mm -hmm. 
the other thing was that one of the ways that she attempted to justify it. And again, as the letter writer says, I know people can change, but like one thing, you know, letter writer is that she has not changed on this issue. Like she has maintained this last week, um, the same anti-black sentiments that she expressed six years ago. So it's not like, how do I deal with my partner's like past racism that she now like deeply regrets and has attempted to make amends for? This is like, how do I deal with her ongoing racism that Mm -hmm. leads her to dismiss my real concerns for my safety and my life? The other is like, she said, I said it because my ex was raped by a black person. And if I were to admit I was attracted to a different black person, that would trigger them, which is like one of the most violent, vile, awful responses I can imagine. Like the idea of like you, my girlfriend, are responsible for the fact that my partner was once raped by someone else. Your mere existence, the fact of my desire for you is a reminder of rape is just, it's monstrous that she would say that. It's monstrous. It's horrific that, that A, that she could have those thoughts and B, that she could so easily express them to her Black partner and, and expect the Black partner to, like, understand where she's coming from. Right, like, oh gosh, of course. If somebody else raped her, obviously, like, my Black life is responsible for that. I, it's... it's so rough. I mean, one of the hardest things about like, I don't want to be like this current moment, but you know what I mean? One of the hardest things about this current moment is people are really reevaluating their relationships, like not just, you know, romantic ones, but you know, their relationships all over as they exist, you know, friendships, you know, colleagues, their neighbors, like just really reevaluating the kinds of relationships that they have with people. And I, I genuinely don't know that this relationship will survive the, yeah. like this moment, um, not just this current like social moment, but this moment of th- this particular thing that happened in their relationship. I, I don't know that it's salvageable. <laughs> I yeah. mean, the, the sort of end where she says, you know, she's usually such an amazing, loving person. It's like, is she though? (laughs) Because if she had these thoughts six years ago and is still having them now, who is she loving towards? And who, you know, who is she being amazing to? Because clearly, you know, it's not you (laughs) potentially or potentially people who look like you. So what, what does that mean exactly for, you know, the six years you've been together? And what does that mean for your future? Um, Right. And I think, it is also telling that the letter writer says, like, lately I've been afraid to drive my car. I've been so worried. And, and, and she doesn't say anything of, like, here's how my girlfriend has been supporting me through this. So it's, like, in addition to this, like, awful, awful conversation, there's also the fact that it doesn't sound like she's showing up for you on, like, a daily basis. So It doesn't even sound like they are discussing these things. Like, it seems yeah. like these are feelings that the letter writer is keeping inside because she doesn't feel like she can share them with her partner. Yeah. Um, so, like, I, I don't want to say to this letter writer who's currently going through so much, like, you have to dump your girlfriend right now. But I do want to say, I don't think you can trust her. Mm-hmm. I don't think you're safe with her. I, I don't think she, like, respects or affirms or cherishes your blackness. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she is pretty still committed to a number of really racist beliefs. 
And I, I want you to feel enormous freedom to reach out to other people in your life to share what's going on and to ask for their support as you figure out what you want to do next. Like, you need to look out for yourself and your well-being right now because you cannot trust that she will be in, in any way helpful towards that process. And I, I do think you should dump her. I think you are better off without her. Um, I, I think you deserve someone who doesn't treat you like this. Yeah, and I, I do think... I mean, I would hope that this situation would be something that the letter writer's girlfriend would recognize as, you know, a moment for self-reflection and hopefully potentially, you know, change. But I don't think that the letter writer owes it to this to, to this partner to sort of be there and help her through it necessarily. Like she says in the letter, like, I don't want to help her heal over being racist. Like, you're not required to. You, you, you This is like, I, I also hope that in her own life she is able to realize the enormity of of what she's done and change. But like, you don't need to be a teachable moment for her. You don't need to like walk her through after six years of being partners together, like the importance of your safety and your humanity. That's not something that you need to stick around for. Yep. And with that, I think we can call it a day. I think you and I can can pull down the blinds and say we're done. Okay. How you doing? How you feeling? Do you think we, do you think we got people down to, um, we definitely did not do eight questions by the way, cause we got really in the weeds with a few of them, but we, we did enough. We did plenty. I think it was, I think it was very good. I think, uh, like you're saying, it was a good mix of like super like light and not so light. So I think, it, I think it was good. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree. I also think that we have good opinions and have the right <laughs> ideas about various problems. Um, I'm so grateful that you came back on the show. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. And I'm really excited to see what movie we end up picking for our remote viewing party this weekend. I hope it's equally as good, if not better than School Ties. So, Oh man, that was a night to remember. <laughs> what a time. <laughs> we'll see what we can do. Crystal, thank you so, so much. Have a fabulous rest of the day and I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Danny. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash prudipod to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location. And at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short, 30 seconds, a minute tops. Thanks for listening. And here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. Yes, it's true that like the self-deprecating terms that she uses are about her own disability specifically. But it's also, I, I don't think exactly true that she's making fun of her own disability. I think part of what she's doing is expressing the new ways in which like hiring managers and bosses and dates treat her badly now and turn her away now. Like that's not her disability. That's like the discrimination that she faces from society. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash prudipod.